Hi, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast Season 2, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is a podcast dedicated to all things food, from recipe ideas to interviews with chefs, producers, purveyors, farmers, and people who just love culinary adventures like myself. So join us here on Fridays to explore the world through the lens of food, and together we can share some yummy food, some laughs, and I welcome you here at my table always. And if you're ready, let's go on a food adventure together starting right now. Welcome to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is season two, episode one. Holy crap. Holy crap. Holy crap. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you've been here a while, then you know what I'm about to say, and you also know that I love and adore you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please don't take notes. I've done it all for you. Go to my website, elizabethrfuller.com, and while you're there, stop. Take in that beautiful photography. I took it all. That's what I do for a living. I'm a food and product photographer. I shoot commercial and editorial photography. I've also styled all of those photos. Yes, yes, I know, I know. You need photography? Hit me up. If you've got questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any kind, maybe it's relationship advice. Maybe it's advice about what to feed your fluff fur baby. I have you. I've got you. Send me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. Woo. All right, you guys, let's go on a food adventure. Oh, here we are. Here we are. So happy, happy, happy new year. First and foremost, I hope that um, you guys all had some relaxing time with friends and family, that you were able to, um, you know, take some time for yourself, that you're safe, you're happy, you're healthy, all of that good stuff, and that you got to eat some yummy food over the holidays. I know I did. Um, I made these short ribs that were so freaking Amazing. They took three days and they were worth every moment that I poured into them. They were this gorgeous pomegranate molasses glaze on them. Oh my God, they were good. They were, they were, I'm still dreaming about these short ribs. I've talked about them on the podcast before. I will include the recipe in the show notes. They are so, so, so good. But we're not talking about short ribs today. No, no. I thought that this first episode, we're going to kick it off and we're going to kick it off right. We're going to France with my guest today. We are going to the countryside of France. He is just such a dollop of a human. I am so grateful that we connected in this crazy world and he has become a fast and furious close friend that is near and dear to my heart and someone I know we will be in touch and we will see each other soon as soon as it's safe to do so. And I know I have a good friend now that I will have for the rest of my life. And I am so honored and just thrilled to be able to say that. And you're going to listen to this and you're going to be like, oh my God, I need to be close friends with Andrew as well. Well, I don't know if he's taking any more close friends in because he might have met his quota with me, 
But if you want to take, um, if you want to fill out the application, I believe it's on his website, which I will include in the show notes. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's absolutely wonderful. So I think we need to jump into this and let's go explore the countryside in France, among a lot of other things that we talk about. Oh, and side note, because we talked so much about so many things and we could not, I could not edit this down that this is going to be a two-parter. So you're going to get this half the interview right now and then stay tuned for next week. You'll get to hear more from us. So buckle in, friends, because here we go. Okay. Okay. My guest. My guest today. Oh, God. He's so amazing. He is originally from Australia and he now currently lives, like I mentioned before, in the countryside in France with his fabulous husband and their two absolutely gorgeous fur babies that also happen to be English cream golden retrievers. Yet one more thing him and I have in common. I know, I know, be jealous people. He was on MasterChef Australia. He had one of the most successful food tour companies in Melbourne, Australia. And now he has the most amazing, hysterical, beautiful podcast dedicated to all things French food called Fabulously Delicious and a wildly funny and entertaining YouTube show called Cooking Fabulously. So without further delay, please welcome to the podcast, the one, the only, Andrew Pryor from the Fabulously Delicious podcast. Hello, my darling. You're here. Merci beaucoup. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Are you kidding me? This is such a treat that we get to hang out and spend time together. You you said you said that people aren't going to actually be seeing us, are they? No. Oh, this is good because I've gotten to that age where, like, you know, hair grows out of ears, noses, and I haven't checked. Like, you know. You are no one tells you that. And eyebrows. Oh, Oh, you look fabulous. You look nice and cozy. So right now you're on the beautiful countryside in France. We and and you're in your gorgeous country house, and you're nice and cozy. You've got like your little hand warmers on, sipping your cafe creme, and I'm in New England drinking coffee. (laughs) <laughs> and it's fucking freezing. Oh, we swear on this podcast, by the way. There's no shame in our game, just so oh, you know. Oh, really? Okay, just so I know. Yes, I know. It's fabulous. Although I'm a little bit cold. The heater behind me says it's only 18 degrees. What's um, that in Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You do the weird things, don't you, over there? You've got that weird thing where you do Fahrenheit and, and Celsius. inches. Celsius. Yeah. And inches. Yeah. Yes, this is right. Yes. I know. We're the so only country. Measure- we're holding out. Like, we refuse to give up miles, inches, Fahrenheit. The rest of the world's like, get on board, bitches. But we're like, no, no, we won't. Do you do, do, you do feet? Yeah. We're not <sighs> stones or anything like that, like the UK. I guess it's weight. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No. So, yes. So feet. I've always thought that was weird feet because, like, what? Like, not everybody speaks the same. No. So, like, not. if you're six foot, like, what if your foot's small? It well, it might be. Um, and it was right. obviously so you wouldn't a, be a as white tall dude as who came up with it. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Who's like, my foot is twelve inches long, hence now it's a foot. Hello. There you go. <laughs> 
and they can suck. Can it. I meet the man with the twelve-inch long? Right, because <laughs> that means he's got Awful. really big feet that needs really big socks. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah, too much. Too, too much, much. Too much. In so, so many ways. So, as people can hear in your accent, you are not originally <laughs> from France, even though no. you basically embodied Julia Child. You're not originally from France. Where no, are you right. from originally? Obviously, by my accent, I'm Japanese, um, <laughs> as everybody can tell. Um, konnichiwa. Uh, ni hao, uh, no, ni hao is Chinese. What am I saying? <laughs> no, obviously, by my humour, I'm Australian. So I, that is that I tend to laugh at myself, even though other people don't laugh at me when I say things. Oh, no, they do laugh at me when I say things. That's right. Yes, yeah, right, I'm Australian. Right, right. <laughs> right. And so my brother lived in Brisbane for uh, years and he still works in Brisbane and lives in Brazil. And I remember on his 30th birthday, we, me and all of his Australian friends went to Las Vegas and we're sitting in a bar in Las Vegas. It's the first time I've ever met any of them. And this is a true story. And all of a sudden they get together, they all have their drinks. And one person goes, Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. And everyone else goes, oi, oi, oi. And I was like, what is this? How did I not get the memo? I never heard it before. I was, so now every time I okay. meet somebody from Australia, I have to, I have to say it. So where that came from was actually, as far as I know, um, there's two things with that story. One is that the Aussie, 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 oi, 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 really came to light in the Olympics in 2000 when mm -hmm. we had the Olympics. Everybody, I'd never heard it before then. No. Um, and so everybody was doing it. But then actually I was watching something. Oh, I don't know, because I watch everything, as we know, and we're not going to yeah. go there because if we start talking about Real Housewives, we'll go down the hole. We're going to be on like, this is going to be a two-parter. Yeah, for sure. Oh, it'll be like the whole season. Like, the whole season will just be me. <laughs> That would be amazing. Yeah. Don't tease me. Don't tease well, me. Well, you and I would like that, but I don't know if your <laughs> listeners would. Um, but um, so apparently uh, it was a term used in the mines uh, in the UK at some stage. I don't know where. I'm thinking Scotland, but I don't know that for a fact. Mm. But apparently people used to yell this down um, to not Aussie, 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 um, obviously, because that would be weird if they were yelling down mines um, that you're Australian three times, <laughs> Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Uh, but no, apparently this was a way that they used to communicate with the men down in the mines for to tell them that their tea was ready. Oh, apparently. of course, of course, only the British. So they used to, or possibly just to see if they were still alive, alive down there. Yeah, <laughs> because I kind of always thought, that you know how like you take the canary down, yeah. right? And then the canary goes in the cage, goes down, the canary dies. Yeah. That you've got to get out. But seriously, by the time the canary dies, do you have time to get out? No, it's a, it no. Is, no, it's a total lost cause at that point. And honestly, like, I don't want to be anywhere where the bird determines if I live or die. Like, I'm no. good. I'm good. No. Uh, especially not if it's a big bird. I mean, at least if it was a turkey, you'd right. be able to eat it. Right. Like, you'd be fine. You'd like, be you better. could at least have your last meal. But what, yeah. we're all just going to nibble on a little budgie? Oh, it's not going to happen. No, absolutely not. Uh, and okay, great segue. Speaking of nibbling on things, when did you fall so deeply in love with cooking? Because you weren't always in the culinary field. No, I was an insurance. I mm -hmm. was an insurance broker. Mm -hmm. um, look, I think that for me, food, I grew up with, uh, my mother was half Italian and half Czechoslovakian. Unfortunately, she got the Czechoslovakian um, 
uh, cooking gene, uh, i.e. that she just boiled everything with salt. I apologise to anybody from Slovakia or the Czech Republic. Um, it was just the way my mother cooked. So I don't know if that's the way you cook there or not. But um, so I didn't get that lovely Italian thing going on. And um, so I think that for me, cooking sort of came about, I love television. So I loved watching cooking shows mm -hmm. for sure when I was younger. And then when I was, I'd left home and was sharing my first flat with, with people. Um, actually, the first time I shared with gays, because I don't know if you'd noticed or not, but I'm, I'm homosexual. <laughs> um, actually, this is the first time I've ever come out to anybody. <laughs> um, Welcome. Well, actually, Welcome. Love is love. Welcome. <laughs> yes. Um, and so um, I shared a house with gays and we were like, we would have people over for dinner. And so I started to cook and people liked my cooking. And that was sort of positive reinforcement. So for me, it was a way of getting positive reinforcement because I never got that with everything that I ever did. Before mm. then, um, it was there was always something negative to it. You know, I did ballroom dancing um, when I was a kid, and I remember then mum didn't mum and dad didn't want to pay for the private lessons, so it was like, well, you're not any good, you can't do it anymore. Mm. Um, it wasn't that I wasn't any good. I went to the Pan Pacifics, you know, that bore, strictly dancing, um, yeah. strictly ballroom movie where they're yeah. at the Pan Pacifics. That was me when I was like 12 year old in my wow. leotard um, at the entertainment centre in. <laughs> Sydney mm. but um and you know like oh you know you can't sing so you can't do singing and there was always this sort of like negative connotation to things because rather right. than saying um, I'm really sorry we can't afford this I would love yes. to like fuel your passions and your creativity let's yeah. try to figure out a way maybe we can help you move forward in one of these activities you love doing so much but today, unfortunately, we can't afford it. So let's get creative exactly. together. You know what I mean? Like a nice dialogue rather than being like, nah, kid, you can't sing a tune. You're done. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, that, so, so when I found this sort of reinforcement, positive reinforcement from my cooking, that was mm. fabulous. So it's just sort of led from that. And I just did that. And so when we had parties, I would cook and all of those sort of things. And then Finally, I think the main big change of making me really into food was when we ca first came to France. Uh, that was in 2012. Well, actually, sorry, I rephrase that. When we first moved to France. So I'd been to France before then. But when we moved to France for the first time, we came in 2012 because uh, my um, then, uh, my now husband, my husband and I, mm -hmm. To quote another queen, um, my husband and I, we came to France because uh, he was doing his PhD and he got an exchange to do that at uh, a university in Paris. And at that time, there was no gay marriage in Australia. So we, I couldn't come over as his de facto, they call it, or spouse, even though we'd been together for like, oh, I think, 10 years at that time. Right, a thousand years. They didn't anywhere. recognize that. So yeah. I had to come on what was called a cultural visa. And so that meant that I wasn't allowed to work, um, which was terribly hard. For uh, 10 months, I had to live in Paris, not working, not having anything to do except walk around the streets of Paris all day whilst my other half was in university. Now, listeners, 
I understand that this is really hard story and there's been many people that have lots of conflicts and hard hardships in their life. Um, and, um, and it'd be hard to hear that I just spent 10 months doing nothing but walking around the streets of Paris. Um, but you but didn't speak look, the language and it was very isolating for you because you're very was. outgoing. Like I it am, was. I understand I the trauma of needing was to walk around all day. Like mm. Yeah. So, um, that really got me into French yeah. food and really cemented food and then when we got back it led to other things which I'm sure we'll talk about but yes yeah. I think um uh, getting into food it was those sort of two experiences coming to France but also getting positive reinforcement and I still do that um I still need positive reinforcement about my food and I love giving it to other people as well because I think everybody loves everybody that loves to cook whether they're good or bad it's it should be um uh it should be uh what's the word i'm celebrated. trying to find I'm celebrated thank you very yeah. much i often find that when you're learning a new language you often lose the old one i hear you um, no yes. totally no <laughs> i i tried so desperately to learn italian and any other language that i had in my head i had french spanish and portuguese all gone all gone yeah and so now i've got room for the small bit of italian i know and then which is very limited. And then the English that I grew up with that yeah, I lose from at the older yeah. you get, you lose it anyway. So <laughs> really, you know, that comes to charades that. and hand gestures that we, you know, the parlor games we, we achieved just excellence at while we were younger. Yeah. So you never went to culinary school. Uh, no. So later in life, um, I did uh, um, Cordon Bleu in mm -hmm. Paris. But no, in the beginning, uh, or when I was younger, no, I never went to culinary school. No, it was just um, pure love. And just just love and cookbooks. I have a very large cookbook collection that is growing. Um, uh, I don't know if you can see uh, behind me, listeners, you won't be able to see, but there is a, a, a pile of books to be read that is actually now reaching up uh, nearly as high as my mantelpiece. Oh, yeah. It has a pink flamingo on it. It does, mm. it does. If there was, that yes, signals it must be read. And does the pink yes. flamingo have Oh, I thought you meant the pink single. I thought you were going to say something about the pink flamingo or what that <laughs> signals. But anyway. No, it does. That too. <laughs> Especially when you have a lot in your yard, then you get flocked. So does does the pink flamingo have a name? Uh, no. Should it? Yeah. It's just a watering can. It doesn't matter. It should be like Mrs. Kasha Davis or something. Like it needs to be named. <laughs> Come on. Or we could call her Ramona. I don't care. You, oh. you pick. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I'm, I'm not to pulling you. a Ramona. No, okay. let's not go down there. Um, that's a touching subject. How about the Countess? The Countess? Yeah, the Countess. Definitely. Okay, so that's the Countess. We named definitely. your flamingo. Done. Yeah, One more thing great. checked off our list today. I love that. So going down into your culinary. Hashtag Ramona should be set. Um, oh. oh. And we're going down reality TV. Now it's part two. No. So. Speaking of reality TV, speaking of food, you did something that a lot of people, myself included, have always wanted to do, which is go on some sort of cooking show, whether it be Top Chef, Chopped, Master Chef. I mean, the list goes on and on. You were on Master Chef. Was it season five? Yes, season five, Master Chef Australia, which mm -hmm. was uh, truly amazing. So 
that was 2013. I'd been in Paris for a year. And when I came back um, with Peter, I actually decided that I wanted to do something different with my life. And so um, I went straight from Paris to a little country town called Warnable in uh, just outside of Melbourne literally straight from there to a caravan park by myself when Peter went home to the dogs uh, to do some time in country radio. Um, and uh, as you can tell by my, my face, I've got an excellent voice for radio. So uh, that didn't last because I didn't like country town living at that time, uh, especially not after coming straight from Paris. No, so wait, how long I, were you stuck in this um, caravan? Oh, two weeks. Oh, that's still it a was long nothing. time. It was, yeah, it just wasn't right for me at that time. And so I came back and we, then I um, applied for jobs, thinking that we would just move straight back to France as soon as Peter finished his PhD. And um, whilst I was watching The Bold and the Beautiful, because um, two of my favourite passions uh, with regards to television are The Real Housewives of Everything and The Bold and the Beautiful. Um, never missed an episode of either of them. Although it is weighing on me, I do think Brooke needs a new man. I'm over Ridge, but we won't get into that. Um, I love you. I love you so much. And so um, I was watching that and I saw the ad come on for MasterChef Australia and I had applied for season one and made it all about food because I was a real lover of the UK version. And so knew that at that time, the UK version was all about food and you had to be very, very knowledgeable. And it was like, you know, like it was really, it was a really great show. Well, it is a really great show. And so then I didn't get on that season one and I noticed all the people that were on it were all personality, so to speak. So I thought, well, I'll put some personality in there because, you know, I'm not exactly a shrinking violet. And, um, <laughs> So I did. I told them everything. I didn't hold back. You know, I mentioned that I used to do drag, mm -hmm. thinking that, well, maybe I can be the first drag queen on MasterChef Australia. Right. Um, you know, there was... Would you, you know, if they wanted you to go on in full pancake oh, and would totally, you... Totally, I would have done that. Totally. Um, it would have been really What would have horrible. caught on fire first, though? Like, what... It would yeah. have been like a wig. The wig. Oh, yeah. The wig. Okay. The eyelashes. Done. The eyelashes. Oh, yeah, yeah. God. Yeah. Because, look... To be honest, um, so I used to be in, just as a side note, um, I used to be uh, Andromeda uh, when I was younger. That was my drag name. Um, but Andromeda since retired. And now um, she has morphed into Dixie, uh, Dixie Normus. Um, yes. <laughs> I love you so much. So, look, Dixie Normus's drag is not exactly RuPaul drag race material. Um, it's kind of... It's kind of like if uh, Dixie would be like Vanjie, uh -huh. but wouldn't get invited back. Like be very memorable, be like yeah. all kinds of, you know, this is fabulous. Yeah. Um, you know, I do, well, you know, um, uh, yeah, it, it, but she wouldn't get invited back. I don't it. know. Um, I've seen, so I just started watching, unfortunately, Italia, Drag Race oh, Italia. I couldn't do it. I couldn't I, you do don't it. want to. I, I RuPaul, I love you. I know RuPaul Charles listens to this podcast and I love her, but yeah. um, yeah, that's a tough, I mean, I think Dixie Normus would steal the show. <laughs> Dixie, Dixie Normus. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, yeah. I think she would um, steal the show. 
yeah, oh, she'd steal any show. She'd also steal your handbag. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, exactly. And your cooking utensils. She'd actually use your handbag. And she wouldn't use, yeah, the cooking utensils yeah. for cooking. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then she'd eat everybody's dinner and then leave. Um, yeah. yeah. Politely out the back um, <laughs> while feeding the dog something. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. So yes. I, um, yeah, I applied and got on. It was pretty amazing. It was uh it was obviously life-changing um, and uh, it cemented that I wanted to be involved in food. And because I went in with the idea that no matter what happened, whether I was last or first, um, I would make something of it. Uh, mm -hmm. It was just a catalyst for change really. And, and that was great. No, that's great. Yeah. And was the experience knowing like I'm a huge lover too of reality TV shows, yeah. competitions, mainly cooking, and then obviously drag and real housewives and stuff like that. Was it, it what you thought it would be? Because in my head, I have an idea of what the sequestering feels like when the camera stop, stop rolling, what the, that feels like. Did you, was, was it that like, did you become really good friends with crew members and PAs and yeah you know. so I think that um it was everything that I thought it would be and so much more and it was really interesting the things that I thought the things that were portrayed on television didn't really happen mm. but and they were part and part of the the there were some things that I didn't really like but the the, the things that I didn't know about, I absolutely loved. And the things that I was nervous about, I ended up being really fabulous with and loved it. Mm. Um, the filming itself um, was amazing. Uh, the actual competition side of it, I really got into. That was really cool. Being away from home, it wasn't that bad. It's, it's full on. It's a full on experience. I mean, if you in things have changed now but at that time when they were filming it if you were the winner or say if you were in the top five you were gone for six months yeah right to film all of that that was like and and in that six months you might have gone home twice wow um so that's a long time to be away from your family your friends etc just to become the winner of a reality tv show right it's, uh, it's intense you know, not a lot of shows do it that way. I know that um, the American version of the show does not do it anything near that because, I mean, can you imagine? They're not going to have um, uh, Gordon Ramsay sequestered yeah. for six months yeah. to film a shot. Yeah. Like, so uh, Australia, the, the one is different, but this is hence the reason why it is a very popular show and, and why it does do these sort of things. And, you know, people often, the question I get asked all the time, no matter what it is, uh, is two questions actually. One is the food cold when the judges eat it, and even they've said that yes, it is. Yeah. Um, but they actually come along and taste your food whilst you're cooking, and sometimes oh, and you that's see not that on, on the show, camera. And sometimes that, yeah, sometimes they show it, sometimes they don't. But that's how they know what something tastes like. You know, yeah, they're going to try it three hours later. Uh, it's not going to be exactly the same. They've got to fake it. Yeah. You know? But everybody knows that now. The other thing for me that was um, that people always ask is why do you cry on television, you know, in these shows? Why are people always crying? And, well, I always, like, give the example of, um, so for me, I was medically retired from the show and I hurt my knees. And so there was a situation there where we were, 
um, making coq au vin. Uh, mm-hmm. I was I was in an elimination. So um, there were six of us. We were in an elimination. It was in the Barossa Valley, which for those that you don't know, it's actually not the, the coolest place in the world. It's actually, it was summer and it was 39 degrees. Oof. And we were cooking un, outside under a wrought iron um, uh, veranda. Yeah, so you're heat, got for, heat exhaustion. You're exhausted. Yeah, for 20 people. And when I'm making cockle farm, and before that, the judges had come and were sort of seeing me what I'm making. And they, um, uh, Matt Preston came over, he's one of the judges with mm-hmm. a food icon of mine, Maggie Deer. And like, so, suddenly my food icon is standing right next to me with one of the judges on the show. And they're going, Oh, Andrew, it smells like you're making a cockle farm. And they're praising it, you know, you're making your own stock. You're, you've got a bouquet garni. We haven't seen a bouquet garni in a while, um, you know, because I'm fairly old school. I love doing things the old traditional ways. And so there I am making this cockle bun, but you can't just make cockle bun. Like you've got to make something to go with it. Yeah. And I'm going, yes, no, I'm doing a pom puree, you know, mashed potato. Yeah. That's fancy mashed potato in yes. French. Pom puree. And oh, pom puree. And because one of the judges is known for like not lumping, not, not liking lumpy pom puree. And it's like, no, I put mine for a moulin, and um, which they happen to have there. You Thanks. know, yeah, um, yeah. fabulous. Um, and I said, I do mine the Jean Rubichon way, I use more butter than potato. Um, so you know, it's gonna oh. be fabulous, great. Well, we're looking forward to this pom puree. So then, about 10 minutes before the challenge is finished, I've made this pom puree, I've made my cock of barns looking amazing, it's great. Uh, then I'm stirring this pom puree, I had a taste of it. And it tasted amazing. Like oh. the potatoes were fresh from the ground. You know, they, they mm-hmm. tasted like potatoes, not from something you get at a supermarket. Mm-hmm. Um, potatoes, when you get them from the ground, are amazing. Anyway, um, I'm stirring it. I tasted it. The best thing I've ever tasted, pretty much. And I've tasted a lot of things. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> You're proud of yourself. You're like, I did good. I did I'm, good. I am not going home today. And so I'm stirring my mash and there's something black in the bottom of it. Okay, what's that? It's not, I can't smell anything. It's not burnt. And I keep on stirring and it's like, oh. And I must have said, oh, no, because as soon as I did that, suddenly there's six cameras there all looking at me with two of them like straight into the pot you know like suddenly everybody because you're Mike this whole time yes exactly and so I've been cooking for two and a half hours now and there I look into my mash and yes there's all of this ash in it unbeknownst to me the guy next to me Michael (gasps) he's making well what could only be described as raw chicken because his He's trying to soak it, but in two and a half hours, when you leave the chicken in the fridge for an hour and a half to marinate before <gasps> smoking it, seriously. Anyway, his ash from his smoking has gone into my mash. So I can't serve it because it's like got this thing and I've got like less than a minute to go and I can't, there's nothing I can think of to do. So I turn around and there's Nolene who's made a lamb roast. Um, she's crying 
And Nolene was pretty much one of the only people that I liked on the show, being yeah. a contestant on the show. So she's crying. So something's going on here. So I'm thinking to myself, the two of us are going home. And yeah. these other people. With the raw chicken, home. which the raw so chicken are gone Well, home. I didn't know that it was raw at that right. time. But right. so I'm like thinking, well, that's it. So then I start to think about, you know, that my knees are sore because I've hurt, I've hurt my knees. I have, um, it's really, really hot. I'm dehydrated. Uh, and, oh, don't forget that when my, then, well, he wasn't my husband then, of course, remember, because we weren't allowed to get married then. But um, my uh, husband um, dropped me off at the hotel and the last thing he said to me, which was about three and a half, four weeks earlier, was don't come home without the $100,000. So that's also ringing through. No problem. It's <laughs> also ringing through my head. So all of these ringing through my head. And so I just start crying. And of course, that means more cameras are on me now. Of course. Um, and then when it goes, you know, then we go to them actually tasting it. It's all fine. And it turns out that um, when it goes to air, they don't even show anything about the pom. Uh, so they show the pom puree, but they don't show that the judges came around and said that you have to have it. Mm. They just showed that that I was making it and it turned disastrous and I didn't actually do it. Yeah. Um, because it turned out that my dish was the best of the day and I got dish of the day from my cockerel. Of course I did. Of course it's you French. did. And, yeah. um, and you the had other a bouquet garnet. Yeah. I said raw chicken. Yeah. Um, so that is the moral of the story is that you cry on reality TV because, yes, you're doing things that are challengeable and all sorts of stuff, but also there's other things that are factoring it. There's other pressures. So to oh, speak. So, well, it's so emotionally. Yeah, that's why we all cry pressure. over ash in our mash. Hell yeah. It's a pressure, literally pun intended. It's a pressure cooker. And they do it on purpose because Ooh. they want they want that emotional reaction from anyone. I mean, it makes for good TV. You guys wouldn't be there if it wasn't for that. Like, we, do we want to watch that? Do we want to watch somebody that's just going to make something and not cry? We can do that. We can, you know, yeah. watch Gordon Ramsay on yeah. television making something. We don't yeah. need to do that. No, but I want to see crying and gasp while I'm watching. Yes. Going, oh, oh, I feel so bad for them. Oh yeah, yeah, because I make mistakes all the time in my own kitchen, and there's no cameras, and nobody's gasping but me and my fearless fluff next to me. Like that's it. So I hear you. If I'm watching Nigella Lawson and she doesn't lick her finger, yeah. I'm writing a letter to BBC and complaining. If even a gardener, yeah. a garden doesn't mention Jeffrey oh, and it's... how she's going to cook him chicken dinner, I'm writing a letter and complaining. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if if no, people I... don't cry on that, I'm writing that. a letter and complaining. Absolutely. So you were out. What episode were you out on? Remind me again. It was... uh, so I was three weeks in. I think it was yeah. like, oh, I can't remember, like episode 13. So basically yeah. um, four weeks in. It was the beginning of the four weeks. So I was away from home for eight weeks, yep. but in, on film for four. But then, of course, they brought it all back again because they used me as a reason to bring contestants back. Uh, when it got to the top 10, they made it 11 again um, because they had to fill a spot. Because right. they wanted to go longer. Because you so went out I on was, an injury. Yeah. So I got bilateral stress fractures in my knees and I fractured my left kneecap. Oh. Um, so I made um, a medical journal, um, the front page of the medical journal, instead of making the front page of the TV <laughs> week. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's my claim to fame. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Now, what was there any good gossip that like happened during the the tapings? I mean, you obviously you don't need to get along with all the contestants. You got along with a couple of them that you really liked, and the others take it or leave it, whatever. But was there any good like celebrity drama or gossip that like went on? There wasn't. I will say, can I just mention just yeah. I'll have a think about that and get back to you, but I've just yeah. remembered, I've just had a thought, it's just come to me. Please. But I've realised that Eureka got stress fractures in her knees mm-hmm. as well and she got invited back. And then who else recently got UK, the chick. The UK the, one. Yeah, this So season. if I had, maybe if I had born drag, I would have gotten invited back. I Ooh. think you you probably still got a few email addresses from our Ooh. friends at MasterChef Australia that maybe you could... Nudge. Oh, do you think they might have? No. Anyway, I wouldn't go anyway. It's okay. It's, you would totally uh, go. Oh, no. stop it. Oh, no. No, no, no. I wouldn't. Oh, well, all right. Maybe I would. Maybe. Only if it was like, yeah, maybe. No, no, I wouldn't. I, I mean, would. it's a, it's got to take a lot out of you. It's got to be a huge toll on you, obviously, physically, emotionally, and mentally. Um, it is very much. I do notice, I did notice, I had a different experience to everybody. And so I saw behavior and things in contestants after the show. Mm. And then I started to exhibit that a while later. Oh, so I didn't exhibit at the same time as them because I didn't have that experience of somebody telling me that my cooking was bad and that's the reason why you got to leave the show. I was hurt. Uh-huh. So in a way, and look, to be honest, they did actually ask me to come back and I did actually say no. So the, like not for that season, but for mm-hmm. the next season, and mm-hmm. I did say no. But I think that... Um, so it wasn't in, so when they were all starting to leave and there were some contestants that came to stay at our house and you know that I kept in contact for years afterwards etc this was 2013 so it's been a while um but I've sort of I'm not really friends with any of them now or, or in contact with any of them since now um because I've moved on I've gone to France etc but I did sort of see behaviors in them all the same behaviors and then for some reason I just didn't feel that way about the show or I wasn't exhibiting that. But then I did find about a year later I started to. But that was good because I could check myself and go, I've seen that. Yeah. Um, So in a way I was lucky. I was sort of, you know, lucky that I left for that that way and didn't have this sort of negative experience Mm. associated with the show, which is really weird to say. And I say it often to people because people often go, oh, like you hurt yourself. It wasn't negative. And to me, it wasn't. No. It was an opportunity to have a different experience. So I set up a food tour business after it. and. That came about because I had time. I, I wasn't allowed to walk for 10 weeks. Right. So I just sat on the lounge for 10 weeks. And it was a lot just of me. Bold and the beautiful watching. That, that's what you. A lot. A lot. And um, I had to catch up. And, you know, that was, Peter was there and nobody else knew. Because we were, you couldn't tell anybody right. you'd been on the show. And so people didn't know that I was hurt. 
So I remember us watching, we were in the house watching with a whole lot of people, our friends and family, um, watching the episode where I'm eliminated and told that I, I, I can't continue in the competition. And then everybody's looking at me going, what? Yeah. Like, what, are you okay? Because we couldn't tell anybody. So people actually thought that I was like, you know, in the top 10, like the top five, because I was gone for so long right. in their lives. I, I didn't have that experience like, you know, the other people that left at the same time as me where they would have gone back to work. Right. Yeah, it's really and multi-layered. That. And the other thing mm. that, that t- and this is now turning into a therapy session that, that ties this <laughs> in is that if you got eliminated from somebody telling you your food wasn't good, it would have probably hurt you much deeper than mm. not because it would have triggered your old past with your parents telling you you can't sing and dance. Oh my God, I never thought about that. Dave, yes. we're coming full circle. <laughs> Boom, you're oh, cured. Ding, and I will send you my bill. No, but okay. you feel like, so looking at, and we'll wrap up this section, the reality TV shows, like I see a lot here in the US. I also watch some in Australia and the UK and Canada and, and around the world. The ones in the UK, for the most part in the cooking world, people are so nice to one another. Like they're not super bitchy or mean, like the British baking show. It's the most delightful, relaxing experience to watch because the contestants are so there's no money on the line. You can't, you can't win money in the, in the BBC. And so because of that, because it's public access and and whatever, like just, there's no prize money. You get a, a handshake from Paul, maybe, and a goddamn pie cake plate. Like that's it. That's it. Right. But they are just the sweetest to one another. The U S they will shank a bitch behind the scenes, (laughs) literally. Right. Like, do you feel like in Australia that it's a marriage of the two where people are still Um, sort of polite or are they really just ruthless like the U S okay. So it's really interesting because I do feel that everybody is absolutely behind the scenes, very competitive with each other um, and will do anything and will say anything. And there were so many things that happened behind the scenes and they never show it, mm. you know, but everybody is friendly and lovely. And so that's the way it comes across. So, yes, and I think that adds to the drama. It adds to the the, the sort of the, the getting somebody to that stage that they will cry over a spilt milk, you know, yeah. that it is part of that is this sort of let's get them to sort of compete with each other and because it is a competition. Right. And if you go into it like I did, I thought that we were all going to be this happy, loving family. And it was like, it was all really quite bitchy and negative. And that was really interesting to me because it wasn't with the crew. The crew were amazing. The producers, fantastic. So nice. But the the other contestants, they were a bit like that. And it's been commented on on other seasons that's happened. And I do think that that's partly a little bit just because it is a competitive natured show like you are competing against each other so but it is also because you're on tv and you're wanting to put your best foot forward Mm. and you know there were some things that some people did that i can't talk about because i signed a contract um but um 
Uh, and we'll have to wait. I wonder when that ends. Oh, gosh, that'll be good. Must find that out. Yeah, I would um, say, the, well, I guess it probably ends in 10 years, like in a 10-year term. Uh, we'll maybe. I don't um, know. I'll come back in a couple of years. Yeah, please. Um, but no, but uh, they, I, there was definitely things that people did uh, that never made it to light. And whenever I, I get really, really upset whenever I see somebody blame editing on those shows not on not on not on the housewives because i think that's you know that's like a course those shows edited, and, a course. Yeah, yeah but when they blame editing on a show like MasterChef, <laughs> i get really annoyed with that really upset because like i've seen what people have done and if anything i think that they edited things to be um for people to be lesser than they were that they didn't really show what some people were like mm. and and being a person that was actually affected by editing, I do know that some of the things that were portrayed about me in relation to my injury weren't the real deal. Mm-hmm. I should be the one that was upset, but I'm not because I went on reality TV. Right. I knew what I was getting into. Right. Like, you know, for me, that's when it wasn't a problem. Like, I didn't care. I didn't care if they edited me which way or more. Uh, I remember that the one of the people when I was doing my um, interviews, the one-on-one interviews, the cameraman, the producer sort of went out and the cameraman was there and they, I had them in stitches. They were constantly laughing and crying. And, and the cameraman said, are you going to be, what was it I said to them? Uh, something about, um, oh, you know, I can't go any faster. It's like, you know, I'm not Ian Thorpe. Ian Thorpe and I have nothing in common. Well, except for the fact that we're both probably gay. Now, this was, pro- <laughs> this was we're both gay. This was actually before he came out. Before he came and out, I went, yeah. oh, my God, you can't use that. Um, you know, and then, or there was a time um, uh, Rishi, one of the contestants, uh, for Kids Week, he had to make something that was horrible, something kids would want to do. So he, he um, turned uh, liver he made a chopped liver and he turned, fried them as balls and um, coated them in cocoa, cocoa um, cornflakes or something like that. Mm. And the kids loved it. And they said to me, I was watching up in the gantry and they said to me, "What? whose dish would you like to try? And I said, oh, I'd love to taste Rishi's balls. <laughs> um, <laughs> they put on air. Can you believe that had to go on <laughs> anyway, air? Of course that yeah, had to go on air. But you knew that coming out of your when mouth I was, was saying going these on things. air. The the, the cameraman there is crying. Yeah. They're crying, and um, and I actually said like in the first week or so because I noticed that when everybody else went in the interviews, they were in there for like three or four hours, and some people are in there all day. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not maybe I'm not done enough to be in these interviews. And I said this to the producer. I said, Is everything okay? Like, am I doing the right thing? And, the, and they go, yeah, why? And I said, well, everybody else is in there for hours and hours. And I'm like done in like half an hour or three quarters. I said, Andrew, we get everything we need from you. You're gold. Like you don't need change. Just keep on doing it. And then the, the cameraman said, he said, are you okay with like people hearing these things that you're saying? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, like, you know, like, he said, I don't want to say it the wrong way, but you know, like, are you okay with, you know, the whole like gay and like, you know, people getting like this camp sort of humor. And I said, absolutely. I said, well, I can't stop being me. Right. Like, this right. is me. Right. And so um, that sort of, you know, that was just the way I approached it. It was just that, well, this is me and you're going to get everything you want. And they showed it. 
Mm-hmm. And they showed me talking about Rish, wanting to eat Rishi's balls. Just um, perfect. Rishi was, Rishi was attractive. Um, I won't deny it. But, um, yeah. you know. Who wouldn't want his liver-coated <laughs> cocoa balls? Like, really? It is what it, it is. It is what it, it is. is. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So now let's talk about your husband, speaking of balls. And oh, living in- no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And living in France. I had to segue it somehow. <laughs> We were talking about He's so not like that. Peter and yeah. the pups. Peter and the pups. Yeah. I yeah. say to him often that he's the best husband I've ever had. Aww. Yeah, he's also the only husband. The I've only ever husband had. you've yeah. ever had. <laughs> so you and Peter live in Paris. Let's try to say that oh, six France. times fast. Well, you did live, you live in France, but you lived in Paris first for a oui. huge chunk of time. How many years <laughs> were you guys in Paris? So we lived in Paris for five years. So, yes. So we came back here in 2016. No, no, four years. Sorry, four years. Four years. Okay. And so, you... Go ahead. No, you go. No, you go. No, you go. This is so oh, good. I love you so much. Please go. Come no, on. please go. Um, all right. So you've been in Paris. You were in, you've been in France since 2016. Mm-hmm. And let's do math on that. So that's yes. five years. Yes. Four of those years were in the city center in gay old Paris. Well, now that you say that, it was three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what happened was in 2015, I did a tour of France where I took Australians and Americans to France. Um, oh, so I would have paid my... a lot of money for that tour, baby. Oh, no, man. It was, a, it was my tours are pretty darn good. So yeah. we, after MasterChef, I set up a walking tour business in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I thought it was ironic, you know, I wasn't going to be able to be a chef. That's what my doctor had told me. I couldn't stand up. But I knew if I was going to be involved in food, I was going to eat a lot. So our exercise would be good. And I was eliminated yeah. from my knees. So what better to do than do walking to us? Hell yeah. So I did that. And then we, I was telling stories about France. And people said, oh, we'd love for you to take us to France. So I thought, well, yeah, great. Why not? Why don't I do that? I know where to take people. And so I did that. I did a 13-night tour in 2015, seven nights in Paris, two in Dijon, four in Lyon. I organised the whole thing. Oh. We went everywhere where we went to people that I knew, uh, restaurants that I knew, all of that sort of thing. Everything was organised. Um, it was amazing. Um, and so when we came for that tour, we realized we really wanted to be living here and why aren't we living here and of course my being a master chef sort of stopped us from moving because i'd set up a business so we made plans to just sell up bring the dogs uh and come here and so that's what we did and we bought an apartment in paris and renovated it and then we were so we were in montmartre uh, for a year and then we were in our apartment and we were there for two and then we sort of had another sort of the dream was always to have a place in Paris and then have a country place that I could do cooking classes from. And we were just in Paris since it's all pre-COVID. And we were thinking, hey, the only way we're going to be doing this is getting having a bigger mortgage, getting a country house, having more of a mortgage. And that puts a lot of pressure on things when you, you know, everything, you've got too many, so many mortgages and stuff like that. In hindsight now, since COVID, it's a relief that we didn't mm-hmm. do it. But we just thought, why don't we just sell Paris now, make 
buy back into the market later, but buy a place in the countryside and actually do it. Because if we don't do it now, when are we ever going to do right, it? Right, right. And, um, and so that's what we did. So we sold up and were um, moved to the French countryside. But I love Paris. It is a wonderful place. And um, I was very worried about it last year with COVID, with everything that had sort of happened with like with most cities, you know, but especially when you think about like it's the most visited place in the world. Mm -hmm. So when you don't have tourism going there, there's a hell of a lot of people at it not getting any work. Right. And a hell of a lot of businesses that would go that you will just lose. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I think about in Australia with Melbourne when I was there and I did the. I was doing the walking tours. I was one of uh, eighty odd different walking tour businesses in Melbourne. Now they went a good, what is it, 14, 16 months lockdown in Melbourne. It was oh the yeah, lockdown. yeah. I think the whole country. What are those businesses that are going to have survived? Yeah. Like, well, not not a lot of them. Um, and you know that's re- really rough. So that's what I do worry about with Paris, but. Um, it's interesting what I have found and I think is great for, I, I believe that it will be good for the long-term future of Paris in regards to tourism, is that a lot of the French have moved back to Paris. Mm. In the, you know, because of the restrictions on Airbnb they were doing there at the time, um, because of people getting ready for the Olympics and things like that and there's sort of this rejuvenation of Paris and the mayor is trying to greenify it and, and have less cars and all this sort of stuff. And then COVID comes along. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people sold up, moved out, etc. expats, Americans, Australians sold their places there. And a lot of French have bought in. I mean, wow. Um, and so I definitely noticed there's a lot of areas where you hear a lot more French when you go there now, mm. especially just recently, going back when Americans could go to France. You definitely heard a few American accents, but you were hearing a lot more French than ever before. So hopefully that's a good sign that that there will be a different Paris for tourists in the future, that it will be more French. A more authentic the, Paris. Yeah, than, yeah. Than, than this touristy version that we know and love. All right, you guys. That is part one of my interview with Andrew Pryor. Tune in next week for part two. We're going to answer all of your listener questions. We're going to talk so much more with Andrew about everything that's going on in his world right now. Talk all about France, his podcast and YouTube channel and so, so, so much more. So don't miss the second half of our interview next Friday. You guys, thank you for listening. Again, go to my website for all the show notes, elizabethrfuller.com. Tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at Let's Go on a Food Adventure. And if you have questions for the podcast, shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for the start of an amazing season two. Make some yummy food together this weekend. Leave with kindness, and I'll see you next Friday. Bye.